Hello and welcome. Uh, my name is Steve Pugh. It is Monday, the well, I was going to say the 4th, it's 4pm. It's actually, what date is it? I've lost track. Simon, what date is it? I think it's the 17th. <laughs> it's funny, when, when I do my Friday morning ones, I always actually write the date because as soon as you click live, you get like a brain freeze. But anyway, um, so I try and do something called the Growth Strategy Podcast where I introduce you to interesting people that I think can help your business or career, uh, regardless if it was Monday or Friday or Saturday or whichever. Um, my guest today is someone I think is really worth kind of talking to. Uh, Simon recently wrote a book, which we're going to talk about, but actually he's got a really interesting career which covers business and lots of different things which we go into if you tune in every week and yeah hopefully if you join us in the next 30 40 minutes it might be worth your time and we look to you know uh, share and look at dig into some of the things to do with growth strategy but running a business and that kind of thing as well which hopefully is of interest so uh there we go simon you're now live would you like to say hi to everyone hello <laughs> Perfect. Um, so we know each other from like social media and stuff, yeah. but we didn't necessarily know each other in person, uh, at least yet. Um, but so would you, but things, part of the thing, the fun for me in this is that because I, I interview people I'm interested to talk to, but I, I genuinely want to know the answer as opposed to you see it all the time where people just ask generic stuff they don't really care about. And I think for me, that's why it's always interesting to speak to genuinely interesting people um so yeah would you like to give people like a quick two minute about yourself before we didn't uh, dive deep into your kind of career history and stuff yeah sure well first of all thanks for the invite it's great to be here absolutely wonderful uh so my name's simon clayton i'm a, a marketing coach um and i'm also the term educator as well is probably quinn morton um i've been self-employed in this business for about just over six years now um, I ran a previous business, which I'm sure we'll talk about in due course. But yeah, Marketing Skills Academy, I work with business owners of all shapes and sizes, looking at their strategic marketing plans, uh, growth plans, and kind of how to implement, really. And uh, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. And you also wrote this as well, which is... Uh, and I also show. write books. Yeah, no, that that's, was never meant to be a book. Never meant to be a book. Um, that is my core coaching program that I deliver. And um, for a long time, um, I wanted something which was hands-on, uh, dare I say, non-academic. It was just practical and a step-by-step -step process you could follow. A roadmap. And that's where Marketing Master Can was kind of born from, really. No, it's cool. It, it, and I've been through it. It arrived last week. It's really, really good, actually. Which, But we'll touch on that a bit later on. Um, so one of the things I always like to uh, talk about is because I click these up onto YouTube and that kind of thing is that I know when I went through uh, like school and stuff, I didn't necessarily, it's the, back in the day, it was quite difficult to learn how to, what careers were. You had a careers advisor, which were generally crap. Yeah. Um, and it was just, you know, or you knew what your parents did, maybe a family friend or an uncle, and that was pretty much it. As well, nowadays you've got the internet, you've got, you know, well, basically you've got access to everything in the world. Um, so because of that, you know, it's a lot easier for people to find out what graphic design is or what, I, I probably genuinely didn't even know what marketing was until I was probably at uni when I did my first yeah. kind of marketing module. And it's just, it's funny that, you know, you never know that. I've just realized I'm going to quickly, I had my Outlook ping up and if I don't take it off now, sods law is for <laughs> the next 40 minutes, it will keep going off. And it's when I interviewed a chap called Tim Ward, uh where is it outlook quit his slack kept going off and it didn't matter what he did to try and turn it off it just kept going but then you know we're all kind of real normal people that these kind of things happen that yeah or if you're at home if your door goes it you know yeah. it is what it is we wing it we improvise it um but no but and then because of that i think it's really useful for people to talk about their careers but also how they got into business mm -hmm. because one of the things we talked about last week was that I think schools often teach too much and they put too much focus on the academics that actually mm -hmm. a lot of people aren't academic that, you know, there are other options out there that it's not all or nothing. So the more they can learn from different people and ironically, a lot of entrepreneurs maybe, you know, weren't the best at school. It kind of gives them that foresight that if someone else can do it, they can too. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, so whereabouts did you grow up? So I grew up in Stockton, Stockton on Tees. I know. Uh, yeah, uh, industrial working class town. Uh, when I, when I was young, I had no idea what I wanted to be. Um, initially, it was going to be a police officer. Actually, that was always the plan. 
I was always a tall kid and it was always the the goal. Yeah, the place seemed a good move. And that was right until I went to sixth form and then suddenly thought, do you know what? I think if there was any ever any trouble, <laughs> I'd probably run in the opposite direction. So I would make the greatest police officer. Uh, and then I got into kind of, I, I, I like creative writing uh, and I loved art and um, I loved performing. Um, so somewhere around that, that, that was the idea, that was the plan. But I think at that time, the kind of the career path was always you did school, GCSEs, you went to sixth form college. Uh, I then went on to art college and then I went to university. You know, you, you, it was just kind of, as you say, there was no real careers advice there. Um, so I went to university and I studied design and the plan was to come away and be a, a graphic designer. And one of the modules on my degree was marketing, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, got a job in an agency um, when I left uni uh, to do graphic design and within six weeks they came me and said, we don't think you're going to make a great designer, but we do think you make a really good kind of account manager. What do you think? And it was like, well, well yeah, all right then. Uh, and the money was better as well at that time. So yeah, let's go for it. And I spent about 20 years in agency land. Wow. Um, basically you don't look that old. Thank you. Well, that, that's the cue. That's, that's, <laughs> Um, now it's it, lots of creams and stuff. Um, yeah, 20 years, uh, Teesside, Newcastle, Manchester and London. And that was where the real, the kind of the real joy, I suppose, in marketing came and seeing our businesses. I spent three years working on client side as a marketing manager. And I spent three years uh, self-employed, which is the first business I had which is running an internet business. But apart from that, the rest of my career was kind of agency side. Yeah, cool. Uh, Out of interest, when you started in graphic design, um, was it pre-computers? Uh, you see, you shouldn't, ask, you shouldn't ask a grown man questions like that. Yes, it was actually. I remember, right, the first day uh, as we started the university, it was all on huge, big drawing boards. So the graphic design department was on these huge, big, you know, drawing boards. And uh, there was a computer that sat in the corner of the room that people used to go and stare at and push buttons and things would happen. But ultimately, I think it was just a glorified word processor. And then within the space of like 12 months, suddenly you, you, we've getting more and more graphic designers in who are very computer literate and Mac literate. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously that's when the explosion came and everything was done on Apple Mac. Uh, but no, it was very traditional, the first agency I worked for. And uh, yeah, and, and well, you see what happened since then, yeah. But it's funny, I've just got Louise Pot saying that a pre-computer. It's funny that with, um, oh, I, I, so I'm an engineer. Yeah. And when I started, it was at the point where, okay, computers were coming in, but it was still relatively new. But, you know, you were still taught to draw by hand. And ironically, I was really good at that. And just because even from when I was a kid, I loved to sketch and draw stuff. And it was just one of the things that I was kind of quite good at. And then, but I think realistically, I was, I was always creative, but I didn't really realize it. But the thing that I love about the creative arts, if you want to call it that way, is the fact that you can play with anything. And actually, you know, so many, I watched, uh, I've, I've subscribed to this thing called Masterclass, which is like an online app track thing where you learn. I've started one recently and it's, um, you know, Wayne Gretzky, the ice hockey chap. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he's talking about the athlete's mindset. You have Gordon Ramsay teaches cooking and stuff. And there's a chap who teaches graphic design who's world famous and I've forgotten his name, but regards. But the point is he actually trained as a sociologist. And yeah. I think sometimes you have... Um, you know, a passion and a creative outlet, which doesn't always align with your job, but actually if it kind of, if it's what you do for fun and almost, you know, one of the things that I joked on my live stream on Friday, when I was talking about how, you know, finding something that you enjoy, this is my hobby. I love doing this. I love trying to figure out the lighting and the sound because it's the creative outlet. Um, yeah. And, you know, by the sounds of it, you had that. It was just, it took someone to kind of, uh, you know, hone it in and try and discover what was good for you. Yeah. I mean, massively so it, it... I think I always knew I'd end up somewhere in the creative um, industry somewhere, somehow. Um, but what that looked like, I don't know. I mean, you know, talking with my parents for the weekend and this, when, when I was a child, I used, to do, I used to create comics and stuff like that and plan clubs and all this. And, you know, so there was always that there from a young age. Um, but yeah, it, it, you're right. I, I, you can't put a creative mind down, can you, I suppose? But, that, but, that's and, what you, but I, I noticed this again at uni was that with... So I'd like, so I do mechanical engineering, which is very technical, but in a class of 120 people on the technical stuff, the Chinese students would just blow the water. And like they're, they're so well drilled at following a yeah. process. Mm -hmm. 
But as soon as you said to them, what do you think about this? Can you lead a team? What be in the creative, whatever? They, they couldn't do it. Yeah. And it was just funny that almost when you find your niche, if you have creativity inside you, it's a real kind of superpower that not everyone has, yeah. that actually it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, a solicitor or whoever, you can use it in different ways. And I think it's something that I think people don't appreciate, you know, how important it is. It's as good, if not more important than say being good at maths or, or whichever. Yep. Absolutely. So you kind of touched on it then is that with you, how did you find the transition from working on the kind of agency side of doing what you were doing? You said it was about 20 years. At what point did you kind of start to get the itch to do your first business and what was it? Okay. So I, I, th I think I, I, I suppose after about five years, I always thought, you know what, one day I'd love to have my own agency. Um, and I think you do, you do kind of look around and you, you kind of, yeah, I could do that better than what they do. And, you know, and I think for me, it was just meeting people and being with people. Um, but the first real opportunity was when I was working as a, a, a marketing director for a, a furniture company. And uh, the guy who, the MD at the time was really hands-on, uh, you know, phased by nothing. Uh, and I learned so much from him in a very short space of time. Uh, and I suppose, you know, in a bad way, he kind of trained me up for me to leave and set my own business up. Um, but you know, it, it was, it was great. And it was literally, and he kind of, he empowered me to do exactly what I wanted to do in the office. You know, right, you're in marketing, some days I was doing operations and I, you know, I worked on a whole kind of e-commerce project. And for me, it was a massive learning curve, but it was a real vital learning curve because it made me think, do you know what? there's some risk in here, but actually ultimately running the business looks fun. Um, so my first business, that. yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, my first business was, uh, it was an e-commerce website and I was basically selling um, glass, colored glass uh, for kitchens and bathrooms. And that's what we were doing. And I, I, this was somebody I'd met while I was in this organization. And, um, and that's how it all started. And, the irony was that even though I was based in the northeast, based in Teesside, um, ninety percent of my customer base were in the south, because mm -hmm. uh, at the time when glass was just taking off in interiors and stuff. Um, so I, I had a team in the Midlands that was manufacturing for me. I had a team of fitters in London, and I was literally a glorified agent taking payment online and so forth. And um, and at first, I, I loved it, thoroughly enjoyed it. And then suddenly I realized that actually, once you've created something, that's it. And I, that was, I was just running a business. And I had no desire to grow any bigger, bring people in. It was nothing like that. It was just, you know, it was a lifestyle. It was a creative. Thing. It was the challenge. Exactly. Yeah. But it, I was just, that was it. It was set up. It was gone. And within about 18 months, it was like, I wasn't enjoying it. And the business was making good money. Uh, you know, we were making a good living for it, but I just didn't enjoy it at all. And... Uh, so I think it was three years I sold the business and I went back into the agency side again, which was really weird from running, being my own boss for like three years and doing what I did um, to going into a, a work environment. And I did feel a kind of sense of, I mean, the agency I worked for were really good and, you know, the kind of just, just do your own thing, you know, business development, so went out there and did it. And yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it and kind of thought, you know, marketing is, is what I enjoy doing. I love sitting down, solving problems, you know, creating things and seeing them grow and then moving up the next project. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of where I, I suddenly realized that actually you've got to follow what you're good at and what you enjoy doing. Uh, and, you know, and that's when it kind of led into what I'm doing now. Yeah, oh, cool. Um, so out of interest, and this is just because I do something very similar as well. And by the way, I do love, and I'll just point this out to everyone else, I love the fact that you stand up. I, I, I've I tried over the years because I've been doing video for like 10 years now. If I sit down, I'm terrible. I just, I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know where to sit up straight. I just, so I like to just bounce around and move because this is why, you know, it's authentic to me. But it's very rare that you see someone else do it on the other end as well. Well, I'll be completely honest with you, right? I, I've invested in one of these desks that go up and down. Absolutely oh, nice. brilliant. I, I thoroughly encourage it. If you can get a desk that, you know, the, the desk, absolutely brilliant. Um, and the, the reason is I'd love to sit here and say, well, it's because of a healthy thing and, you know, I'm looking after my health and all that. Um, but during lockdown, um, I suddenly grew this stomach. I honestly looked like I was expecting. Uh, and I thought, <laughs> gosh, and it was just sat down all day just looking at my screen. And I suddenly thought, you know, what? I've got to do something about that. 
and uh, hence the reason for investing in the desk and it's brilliant and the other thing as well is and I don't know what, I don't know what you're like but even when I'm on the phone I, I, you kind of walk around on the phone and you can, and you do compose the best kind of mm-hmm. you know conversations when you're walking it's, around your energy thinking. comes in exactly people can tell and it's funny that with um who was it there was two guests to go on this uh, they were taking the piss out of but because before obviously we had a bit of a chat for our press live and goes live yeah. and I was doing my warm-ups and stuff and it, and he was like oh my god what's this guy do? it was Ian Farrer uh yeah. you know the industry angel podcast and he's like oh god this guy takes it seriously and it wasn't but it was just the fact that in some ways you know you always get a little bit nervous but I just like to kind of you know anyway up, yeah right. absolutely yeah no but no it is fascinating to to see what you're saying about the the business side because a lot of business owners do fall out of love with their business where it's almost they generally start it for a reason but at a certain point it becomes this chain around their neck that actually they kind of don't want to do it anymore but they've got staff it kind of pays their mortgage Mm -hmm. and it can be a difficult thing i don't think people really talk about you know everyone always sells the dream about stuff but actually you have to know what you're doing and build the business that you want Mm-hmm. Um, to really grow that, if that makes sense. And I think sometimes when people get trapped in something well-intentioned, it yeah. can actually be pretty bad, you know, because at least in a job, you can always quit the job. If it's your business, you can't always. Yeah. Now, do you know, I think it's the worst feeling in the world when you're self-employed and you don't enjoy what you're doing. You know, I would advise anybody who, you know, just doesn't enjoy what they're doing to, to kind of call it a day and do something else because it, it, it's probably the hardest slog because you're more kind of hard on yourself because you chose to do this. Mm-hmm. You're not working for somebody else. You know, this is down to you. Um, and, and I do meet a lot of business owners who are kind of in that state. And, and I think a lot of it as well has to do with mindset. You know, I'm, I'm definitely the last kind of 18 months. I've seen a lot more business owners now who've got great businesses but due to the challenges and what they face, they've just they've got a real negative mindset, or they're really kind of they're in a, I suppose, a bit lost in, in place. And for me, it's so important because you know if you're driving that business, mm-hmm. and I do believe we all resonate, you know, confidence and, and, and positivity. And if you're going around resonating negativity, be assured the people around you will feel it as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I think it's so important to, to love what you do. Uh, and you know, and I'd say to anybody, if you're in that state where you don't take a step back and have a good think. You know, I was saying, I've got Simon Rudd who follows all the kind of interviews and stuff saying, I know how that feels. And it's true. You get a lot of people that you get in a position and it's just, you know, but I think when you've got other people that you can kind of confide in and talk to that are kind of going through something similar, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it always kind of helps before. Cause I think I was going to pick your brains about your business. Cause I think it's always really interesting, but before I kind of do that, would you like to tell people like what it is? And then I'll go into it. It just makes a lot more sense. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. No problem. So I, when I first became self-employed about six years ago, basically I was made redundant for the, for the third time. Um, and I've got to say through no fault of my own, the business went bust. And it was a real bad time, I think, for smaller agencies. And I thought myself, well, I'll be honest with you. The business went bust in June and I had a holiday in Mallorca. So I had six days and I sat on a, a sunbed in Mallorca. My wife said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I said, I'm, I'm either going to look for another job or I might start up on my own. And she said, well, you've whinged for the last 10 years about working for other people. Why don't you work for yourself? Give it six months. And at least if it doesn't work out, you can never say, well, I never did it. Mm-hmm. And uh, real good advice. And that's what kind of, I suppose, was the push I needed to, to become self-employed. When I first set up, um, I, I set myself as an agency. So to the outside world, I could build websites, social media, PR, you name it, I could do it. Internally, I had a team of freelancers and I was literally scooping off a commission off the top of that. Yeah. And what I realized very quickly was I became a very busy fool. Um, and I was feeding everybody else's mouth apart from my own. Uh, and it was just by pure chance, I had a client who came to me and said, uh, you know, we've got a, it was a large uh, pub restaurant group. Mm-hmm. And they said, we've got 20 units in the group. And I really need to teach them how to use social media properly. They're all different kind of backgrounds. We have the kind of high-end restaurant, coffee shop, and then what you'd kind of say, the more traditional kind of pub. So I went round and I did a, a training course for them all. And, then, and I, I thought, this is a brilliant, absolutely amazing, you know. And it was just some really basic... And then from that, there was other opportunities came from Teesside University, Newcastle University. And I suppose it kind of it got me thinking, do you know what? First of all, it's me. 
it's my time it's my experience i'm teaching but also it's surprising how many businesses don't think about strategy before mm -hmm. they actually start launching their marketing their sales campaigns and there's a real need as we know to have a plan in place to think about what what it looks like ahead you know uh, and that was the kind of the drama. I thought, do you know what? This there's an opportunity. Hence, Marketing Skills Academy was born. And uh, and I say I work with mainly small business owners, micropreneurs, as I call them. And uh, we look at their strategy and uh, you know and how they grow. And I say more and more now. It's also looking at mindset as well and kind of coaching, mentoring. Uh, and alongside that, and I've not mentioned this, but I also, uh, I lecture at Teesside Uni, he's a part-time lecturer as well. So, yes. No, that's that's, cool. that's... But I think one of the things that I find is almost, it's, it's really fulfilling when you, I like to feel valued, if that makes sense. So it's when you're working on the business and actually they actually appreciate what you do. It's yeah. nice. I've worked in places and paid employment where they don't value what you do and it's fucking horrible. <laughs> And it's yeah. just, yeah. and it, I, you know, for me, that was almost one of the, the main drivers that the way that I structure what I'm doing is that I have uh, about three or so clients on retainer that pay me every month, mm -hmm. but I actually genuinely feel part of their team. And it's, it's, it's really nice to have that because mm -hmm. as a solopreneur, um, it can be quite lonely if that makes sense, but Much actually, lonely. but it, it's, it's when you get people appreciate what you do is I guess mm -hmm. what you get from the training because you get some sort of kind of feedback. I think that was a big thing. You, you kind of, you're a partner. You always say to people, I come in as a partner. You know what I mean? As a non-exec partner to your business. I, anybody who deems me as a supplier, it ain't going to be a great relationship. Uh, you know, and I think that's also the reason why I always tell people, you know, I, I'm totally unemployable now. And I, I do believe that. I, I, I think I'd make it a horrible employee. Um, you know, I, I think it's just because you get, you've got that confidence and that experience now. And I really want people to do well. I love entrepreneurism. I love building businesses. Uh, you mentioned something earlier, which I was going to touch on, was I'm a massive advocate of getting young people uh, into entrepreneurism and running business and understand how things go. So for me, it's really important that you hit that relationship where you do see each other as an equal mm -hmm. and you do feed off each other. I never go to a business and say, do you know what, I'm going to tell you how to run your business. It's more the case I'm going to come in as an extra set of eyes and ears and just see what other ways, you know, that could improve or for the better based on my knowledge and experience, uh, you know, and, and, and hopefully they buy into that. And that for me is the perfect relationship because then we grow together. I'm learning things, they're learning things and there's success coming from it. So, yeah. oh, cool. so how long you said you've been running the business six years, six years. Yes. How have you found years, yeah. that process? Uh, oh, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> run your own business. It's wonderful. Yeah. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I, I, I love being my own boss. I love doing what I do. I've met so many interesting people. Um, I've done so many interesting things. Um, you know, I've got high expectations what's ahead as we all have. Um, I think the last kind of 18 months has been challenging. Um, but there again, on the back of that, I, the last 12 months, I've had my best 12 months in business. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, um, yeah, it, ups and downs like any business, isn't there? I think what you've just got to do is you've got to just keep focused on the good times, mm -hmm. focus on the positives, and uh, and hopefully the negatives will come and go and not bother you too much. Yeah, honestly, because one of the things that I found was that in the, the first 12 months, a lot of it is kind of you're putting out feelers yeah. and you're trying to see where you i think it's where you fit does that make sense so you you find what your lane is because yeah. you have an idea you said the same you started and you're off from pr and marketing and design and whatever and actually it's when you kind of find your fit and you say okay well i, I understand what i am now yeah but i think that does take 12 or so months that i think one of the things i like to talk about is that when uh, you said that your partner or girlfriend or wife said oh yeah give it six months i think six months is tough actually because it's difficult to make it work and profitable after six months 12 yeah. 18 months is when yeah. you know if it's going to work or not but it's you know even i had my first customer was actually in america so the first two months looked brilliant but then it went quiet and then it picked up again and it, it's that balance of where i was like trying to be quite honest with how my journeys went so that if you're three months into launching yourself and yeah. it's a bit quiet happened yeah. to me happens to a lot of people and it's it's that kind of realism that i was trying to talk about because one of the things that always annoys me is when you get people that 
all they do is sell the dream and it's like well it's yeah. that isn't fair on anyone and actually people don't believe you <laughs> you know what yeah, i mean no, it's that yeah. trust side to it yeah no i mean in fairness to my wife i think the six months was literally just get on and do something and stop talking about it um and you're right actually it, from launch i had a great kind of six to eight months and then it went quiet for a period and there's you know I, I probably got used to just having the work and what i hadn't thought about was the fact that projects come and go uh, you know, and I wasn't really kind of offering any retained work or retained services. It was just purely project by project. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, that I've got it, my, my eldest daughter at the moment, she's at Durham University doing marketing and business. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were talking the weekend about what life's going to look like after university. And, you know, and she, she's thinking, should I go self I said, to be honest with you, I'd be happier, even though it's her life, she do what she likes that if you've got some experience somewhere first, because I do think you've yeah, got you've got experience yeah, industry in some shape or form first and that commercial acumen and before you then go into self-employment. Don't get me wrong, I, I'm, I know there's, there's plenty of entrepreneurs who left school, uh, you know, and, and set up and have made millions of pounds. I, I know that. Um, you know, personally for me, I, I just think just to get some of that commercial experience first in the real world, before you run your own business and also grow that network as well. We yeah. all know that business is about networking and growing that network of people. And that's really, really important. And that's the one thing that commercial experience does give you before you, you launch your own business. Yeah, some people talk about beta testing your career. So if you yeah. fancy that, try that. If you don't like it, okay, well, I'll try that. And yeah. then you find you, but it's, it's when you, um, you know, that experience will come back at the right time. Yeah. But often too, people, too many people find themselves in a, an okay job and they just stay there. They're miserable with the risk of changing it. And then actually, especially whilst you're young, it's the time to kind of uh, try something new. So you recently wrote this. I'm holding it close just because I crop in on here. No, no some... problem at all. I'll, I'll just hold my copy as well, just, just to get the... Just to, yeah. No, closer, near your head, near your head. They can't see it. There we go. Um, so when I'll start right at the start, because again, part of, with marketing, you're always like, what, what do people want to hear, talk about what's your audience interested in? Yes. And yeah. a lot of people are interested in one day writing their own book. So I'm going to ask you the question, at what point did you, uh, you know, get the, the edge or the idea to kind of go through the process? I would love to say again, that I sat for hours and I thought to myself, I'm going to write a book and I had this lovely log cabin looking over this lake and I said, Basically, I um, I got some work via an enterprise agency and they said, you know, you're our marketing coach. I said, great, what do you want me to teach? Where's the material? Oh, you're the coach, you go and do it. And the space over kind of three to six months, I actually just sat down and thought, right, and what am I going to teach businesses? What do they need to know about marketing? And literally went through a very basic, I suppose, a, a strategy background. You know, well, you need to know your aims and objectives and you you need to know who your customers are. And I suppose you need to know about your research, about your competitors. And that was literally how it is bit by bit. And I was sat with a, a good friend of mine and she just said, she said, you know what? She said, I think this would make a great book. Mm-hmm. And at the time I said, nah, I, I don't write. I'm not an author. She said, no, honestly, I think if we could really, you know, go to town on this and create a book. And that's where the idea came from. And within the space of like six to eight weeks, the book was born. Uh, and was I that Helen Shinner? It is, yes. It is, Helen. Yes. Only because yes. you name checker on the inside cover. I did, yes, yes. Oh, she was an absolute, yeah, power of strength, tower of strength, yeah. Um, and Gary Pickery, my designer, he brought it to life and uh, did it, did an absolute wonderful job on it. Uh, so when so, did you, like, how long did it take start to finish? Once the concept was there that it's going to be a book, um, it was then about, right, how do we break this down into bite-sized chunks? Mm-hmm. And that's where we create this kind of the six pillars, the mm-hmm. six stages of creating your marketing master plan. Um, and I was very conscious at the start for any business owner to question why they're in business, you know, why does their business exist? Um, so the first pillar is, is purpose, you know, what's the purpose of your business? Um, and then from that, you then look at, okay, that's where you look at your aims and objectives, why your business exists. Next stage is then intelligence. So what exists in your business already uh, you know, such as research, your network, all that kind of thing. And what do you need to know? That's where we look at our customer research, our competitor research. So at third pillar, it was then about proposition. 
because I do think a lot of businesses don't really know what their proposition is when they go to market. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you actually stand for? What you're telling people? Why should they buy from you? Then it was about tools. So you know yourself, there's a plethora of marketing tools out there uh, across many disciplines. You know, and I think a lot of businesses get lost in that kind of forest of different tools. Um, you know, the amount of times I've been to see business owners who say, well, I've got Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and Pinterest, and I've got three websites. And... Them. <laughs> it's the classic thing. Of, yeah. Just having the profile means fuck all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and just kind of like overwhelm of all these platforms. And you ask, okay, well, that's great. What content are you putting on there? Well, I put Mabel's cake on there and the office cat sits on there. And it's, oh my goodness. And just drowning in all this content. So for me, it was like, okay, we need to literally rank your top tools. And mm-hmm. for me, it's usually five or six absolute max in most businesses, what you need to use. And then from that, it was how do we apply that into some kind of process, system, or funnel as we used to in this industry. And uh, so I showed, you know, that's the fifth stage, how you create your conversion funnel. And then the final stage, really important, how we measure our efforts. Because if you're going to put money, time, money, effort, resource into creating your strategy, you want to know you're making something of it and you're getting some return on your investment. The beauty of digital technology is as well, because it's so kind of agile, if something isn't working, you can change it very quickly. Unlike if you're paid for, you know, press advertising or a nice big billboard in town, mm. but once it's up there, you can't take it out. You know, with digital, we can change it very, very quickly. Uh, you know, so hence the reason why to me, measurement is so, so important. Cool. Um, I said in advance that I've marked up, I think there's five different sections and it's, yep. you know, I, I read a lot of books. I've read three books, including this one in the past two weeks. Um, and it, but I do it because I enjoy it. I'm passionate about it. And I just like learning different stuff. So one of the things I thought would be interesting, which I know you know this, but I'm just telling people who might be watching, is that basically yeah, I picked out five kind of sections and it was just concepts that I thought were genuinely interesting that made me go, okay, that, you know, I know we've got an interview coming up. So actually that <laughs> might be worth kind of talking about. So I'm going to go to the first one. Uh, so it's page 21. Not that you memorized it. Ironically, when I wrote the roadmap, I actually pretty much have memorized what's on every page. It's so sad. <laughs> But anyway, and it's uh, determining if your products or services uh, are demand high or low involvement purchase decisions. Would you like to almost explain what are uh, high demand and low involvement uh, purchases? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's suppose it's kind of, I suppose the technical or traditional term is is FMG, FMCG products, such as fast moving consumer goods, whether it's lipsticks, Coca-Cola, whatever that is. We don't really need to think about that purchase. We kind of, you know, I'm going to get a can of Coke. We just go and do it. And it may take, you know, we may need to see a TV ad to remind us which brand of Coke to buy. A friend might have referred it to us or an advert. You know, it, it's it's a low uh, interest purchase. We just go and do it. Mm-hmm. Then we know there are other purchases that we make, another purchase in where it takes a little longer. So, for example, you know, buying a car. Mm-hmm. So when we buy a car, it's very rare. We just wake up and go, I'm going to go and buy a car today and walk at the first garage, you know, hand over your money and drive out. You know, we go through a process of, of kind of educating ourselves. So that could be the first phase is looking online. We then might speak to friends and family. We then might buy a magazine. We're going to go around a few showrooms and talk to different dealers. We then might decide what car we want and then look at the different models. That is a longer process that we will take, mm-hmm. you know, in order to determine whether we're going to buy or not. So that's really the difference. And we need to be mindful of this in terms of the products and services we sell. You know, is it going to be a quick sell? You know, or is it going to be the case that we need to map out some kind of journey in order to convince our customers that, first of all, we exist. Secondly, we are the right choice for what they're looking for. Uh, you know, and finally convert them into a, a paying customer. Because I think for B&B, B&B, my mind has gone to pot. I think, anyway. But yeah, Monday B- afternoon, you're all right. Oh, God. It's, wait till Friday morning. It's funny. You see my enthusiasm just die over the weeks when I do my 9 a.m. <laughs> Fridays. That's why I'm always dosed up on coffee. But I think for B2B, this is really interesting because yeah. what I always try and do is take the concept yeah. and learn to apply it. And I think a lot of people, as you said in the example, they might have a Facebook account, but it's crap on it. Mm-hmm. And for most B2B purchases, especially the higher the value, people want the interaction. They want to know that there's trust there. They want to see yeah. you. And actually, in terms of your marketing strategy then, so for instance, when you do interviews, but you do them regularly every week and you talk to interesting people and you can show your authority and expertise, it's the repetition. If you only ever did one, yeah, 
okay yeah. fine but you want to do it all the time and i think it's when people actually realize that it's that trust point that the more they see you what because i know twitter's one of your big kind of platforms mm -hmm. but they see you on there and they see you all the time on there you mm -hmm. become part of someone's like group that you then are more likely to get considered than someone who's equally qualified that they've never heard of or they've heard of once does that make sense and it was Absolutely. just um but i thought it was just a really interesting concept that i think in b2b stuff people don't consider enough does that make sense also true at b2c and likewise i'm in the process of buying a boiler at the moment and it's the kind of thing so it kind of sits between a mars bar and a car where i'm shopping yeah. around a bit looking at different people but I'm still doing my homework. And one of the big things for me was on um, Trustpilot reviews. Yeah. It's that kind of yep. thing. I'm not going to check every review, but I can see that people have used the service that they think is generally good. And it's almost, it's that risk aversion. I just thought it was a really interesting concept. But also just on that note, you, you're probably looking at two angles because you're looking for a new boiler. So first of all, you're looking for which boiler suits your requirements, your needs and your desires. So you've probably looked at different boiler makes and different boiler manufacturers. But then it's provide finding a, a supplier or a fitter who's going to actually do that for you. So then you're looking at their brand and how important their brand, how well they know, you know. So you can see where all this kind of fits in mm -hmm. this kind of process. Which links seamlessly to the next page, which is all to do with customer touch points. Do you want to touch on that? Yes. So on average, the, the psychology tells us six to eight times we need to experience a brand before we purchase. So that means we need to get in front of our customers at least eight times for them to know that we exist, to know that what we provide is right for what they need, that we answer their pain points, the price is right, et cetera, et cetera, before they convert and buy from us. So again, if you think about what we've just talked about, if it is a B2B product where it's, you know, it's high end purchase, that could be a whole range of different things that we've got to experience first, ranging from a look at the website, customer testimonial, mm -hmm. case study, could be a webinar, face-to-face -face meeting, long before we yeah. actually start talking about the actual physical product that we're going to buy or service we're going to buy. And that's where we start to think about our touch points. And that kind of ties in nicely when I talk about choosing our tools. Each tool has its own merit, its own worth. So I would never or very rarely use Facebook or social media just to purely sell. For me, it's about awareness, making people exist, growing a community, growing a relationship with people who may buy from me. Mm -hmm. But then I may use other things such as my website or videos, or, you know, free brochure to then try and convert them. I wouldn't really try and convert them just purely on social mm -hmm. media. And that's where your touch points come in. Thomas, I don't know how much, uh, say, Mark Ritson, you kind of follow Mark Ritson's a famous yep. marketing. Oh, yeah. British guy, Australian, very swears more than I do. Um, but and he talks about the study from Burnett and Field where it was 60% long-term brand activation, which yeah. for me is what this is. It's where yeah. people get to know your voice, your sound, whatever. And then 40% kind of your sales, short-term sales cycle stuff. And what's quite funny, so every Saturday, my wife and I, we walk from Low Fell, where we live, into Newcastle, get a coffee and a pastry and walk back. Yeah. And on the way back uh, through Gateshead Town Centre, back to where, near where we live, there's this one billboard and every week it's always the same McDonald's advert, but so it's a McDonald's advert, but you see them change between the branding and then the sales activation. So the branding is generally, it's an abstract M to do with the lifestyle of people that buy McDonald's. Yeah. And then they'll do that two out of three weeks. Then the other one, it'll be cheeseburger 99p. But it's what's fascinating is to see someone actually implement this. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, the big, bigger companies generally know more about what they're doing. But it does kind of work is that when, if you just talk about your products or services, you're not yeah. building momentum or weight over time. And that's why you should really kind of do both. The psychology behind it all, and we can go on for hours about this, and this is something we should have a chat about in the pub, but the, the, the psychology behind branding is so clever and so deep. We take it for, you know, for totally exactly for granted of what we see these days, but it is so clever the way it does convert. Mm -hmm. And as you say, McDonald's being a perfect example of, of you know, I always say to my students at the uni, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you see the big yellow M, we all feel it. Oh, it doesn't matter if I never eat. There's a McDonald's here. Whether you're a meat eater, vegetarian, whatever, you, you just you just know you the kind of exactly. You know, you what, know I mean? what it is. You know a recognizable, a recognizable mark that you know is across the world. And so, yeah, it's it absolutely it can convert very well with that psychology. Yeah. One that I thought was really interesting actually is understanding the difference between consumers and customers. 
Would you like yeah. to touch on that? Absolutely. Really, really important. I think everybody views customers, sorry, rephrase that. I think a lot of businesses view customers as people who buy. And especially within B2B, you might have a purchasing team um, who will buy, say, office furniture, but that purchasing manager or purchasing team may never use that furniture. Mm -hmm. So they are the customer, but they are not the consumer. They're buying on behalf of somebody else. So your consumer is always a person who consumes that product, who uses that product, not necessarily the, the purchaser of the product. We need to be very mindful of that when we look at how we address our sales messages, how we sell in there, you know, if you're buying on behalf of someone else, you, you probably want to know, is it more value for money? Is it fit for purpose than what the actual emotional connection is? Whereas if you're selling direct to the customer, it could be the case, yeah, we want to know what that emotional connection is. So again, I'm, the psychology behind this, 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 you know, there's two separate kind of trends of thought here, whether it's consumer or customer. It could be the same, you know, it could be the same, but ultimately we need to be very mindful of that when we're creating our marketing and sales strategy. No, I think the example in the book was hotel chains and toilet roll. I think. Yes. Yes. And it was, but it was just very clever that, yes, someone yeah. in purchasing for a core hotels were buying yeah. a million toilet rolls. Yeah. But it's their customers that are going to use them. And it was just, it was a mindset that when I read it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. So again, with both of our courses and stuff, the customer is generally the business owner. Yeah. Although some people have fun, but the consumers, the people within their business who actually use it. And it was just, it was a nice mindset that I thought was really interesting to talk about. Um, so we're going to jump onto uh, USPs okay. and just so make a brilliant YouTube seven minute clip. Yeah. What are they? And then uh, the example I thought was really good. It was the Virgin holiday, like a rock star example. Yeah. So unique selling proposition is basically what makes you different from your competitors. What makes you different? And a lot of businesses get caught up in this, that it's got to be something that's out of this world. It's got to be absolutely revolutionary. It doesn't need to be. Uh, you know, one of the best examples is probably um, is Uber. You know, we've all had, we've had taxis for years and years and years. They didn't suddenly invent a new kind of taxi. They just came up with an app. And suddenly it's like, oh, my goodness, this is revolutionary. You know, we can actually, well, no, it wasn't. It was just a different way of doing things, a different USP. So, you know, it's about thinking about what the, what the minor or the major things are that differentiate us from our customers, sorry, from our competitors. The example I use is Virgin Holidays. Um, when Virgin launched Virgin Airways, the market was incredibly competitive. British Airways had had sold up for many years. And as consumers, we'd all just got used to that. That was the norm. British Airways had just created the norm. And Virgin came along, and Virgin being the brand it is, just said, look, we're not going to compete in terms of we've got aeroplanes, you know, and they look nice and shiny. We need to focus on the experience. What is the Virgin experience that differentiates us from every other airline? And we all know that, you know, Virgin is a very cool brand. It does things differently. Uh, and because of that, that's the kind of the, the strategy they went in with their USP. And it worked really well for them, really well. You know, they, they, they started to really hit market share for British Airways, and obviously the rest is history. Okay, I just thought it was a really good example. Can I ask you a really uh, poignant, both topical question? Go for it. What would be your USP? My USP, dead simple, making success achievable. Okay. Nice. That is my USP, making success achievable for um, small business owners. And that's, that's basically, and a lot of people say, and this kind of opens up new questions, you know, what does success look like for you and all that? For me, success is about making a positive action or a positive movement within your organization. That's what success is, and you being happy about it. Um, so, yeah, making success achievable, and it also ties in nicely with Marketing Skills Academy, as the MSA. Uh, nice. Because one of the things that I always, you know, when I work with different people as well, it's the fact that it's you so people were like you, some people were like you and some people were like someone else. Yeah. The point is it's, you know, it's people often forget that you and your own personality and mannerisms and backgrounds and approach. Yeah. Might be, so like when I do business coaching and people hire me to help them grow, yeah. generally a lot of my competition is 20 years older, very old school, but it's just, it's a different animal. But if yeah. you want that, hire that. And yep. I think people often miss that, that, you know, a lot of people that follow this kind of stuff, right? People that want to set up on their own or kind of have done as freelancers, could be copywriters, could be anything. Yep. And really just own and be honest about who you are. 
Yeah. And that can be, you know, as long as it's unique, relevant, and authentic, that's the main thing. But um, it's, it's, it's just, it's all about your personal brand, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, and for me, I, you'll see it on my website, I always say I'm not for everybody. And I know that I'm not for everybody. And I don't want to work with everybody. There's a certain kind of business owner I want to work with. Uh, you know, and I'm probably tell Northern accent, you know, I, I say how it is, I, you know, I, I try and motivate as much as possible, but I'm also incredibly honest and authentic as well, you know, yeah. and yeah. No, cool. But my point is, I think people miss that. And it's almost that when, um, you know, when I'm talking to my wife and she's going to, she's a solicitor and she's going to post on Twitter. My point always is, yeah, but what do you think about it? What's your opinion? Yeah. Because if they want, just a, you know it's just that's what makes you memorable and unique that ironically the book i finished yesterday no it wasn't it was the one i'd started yesterday it's called predictable revenue and it's all to do with big global scale-ups about how anyway and on the back cover so yours is blank at the bottom where it gives the bio of the guy yeah i was reading it through and it was all quite interesting at the bottom he says uh the so-and-so chap lives in edinburgh he's got 10 kids it was like oh 10 goodness. But oh I suddenly God. started to question his judgment because I was like, for one, why would you want 10 kids? But actually what it did was yeah. make me think on a moral level, I don't know. I'm going to have to take what he says with a pinch of salt as opposed to it's just we, we he's, I'm guessing, decided to have that many children. And just yeah. morally for me, I, I don't, we don't have kids, but almost where it actually, some people might love that. But to me, it actually made him trust a bit less because I thought well, actually it's, you know, I don't want to get into the moral dilemma about having 10 kids, but you know, there's finite resources in the world and it, you know, it is what it is. Is it, is it also the case Dave, that he's got 10 different kids with 10 different women? Well, that would have been so much more interesting. You if it said, yeah. um, John Smith has 10 kids with eight women. I'd be interested because I, I thought I'm a player, lose, yeah. but, yeah. but that to me would be more Virgin Rockstar <laughs> than, you know, Brady Bunch. But anyway, yeah. but, but it's true, but this is what you're, and what was also interesting is that, I don't, I haven't actually Googled the guy yet, yeah. but with the language of the first kind of about 40 pages in, I'm going to guess he's American because it's very brash. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's what was quite interesting was that you came across as very friendly with your tone and stuff in this in a nice way. And that's why I try and approach it. But again, but even your writing style can come across of some people like the really hard hitting stuff, mm -hmm. but actually often I, I hate, you know, I despise that. And then last but not least, it was all to do with drip versus burst campaigns. I thought this was really interesting. Yeah. Um, again, when, when looking at your marketing across a period of time, it doesn't always have to be a large scale campaign. I mean, you know, for most small businesses, budget is really tight anyway. Uh, so what I tend to look at is actually having maybe two or three bigger campaigns and then drip feeding in between those your markets. So you may say, right then, we're gonna run a 12 month um, brand campaign, which is gonna drip feed throughout. But there again, in the summer, we might have a big branding campaign, or we might have a product launch in uh, spring and autumn. So they'd be big campaigns, but the rest of the time we're gonna drip feed. So it doesn't necessarily have to constantly be, right, we've gotta spend big money month on month doing these massive campaigns. You can get just as much value if you, you know, you, you do a drip and a burst and a drip and a burst. Mm -hmm. But it all depends on your audience. We know that most business is seasonal. You know, while some businesses do incredibly well over Christmas, other businesses go dead. Likewise, you know, August, September can be quiet because people are on holiday. Other businesses, you know, if you're a holiday company, it's probably your biggest time. Here. So we know that there's different seasonalities across all different types of groups, different businesses. So because of that, I will, you know, I always advise, right, let's build big campaigns in order to hit those mm -hmm. and then drip feed in the quieter times. So you're still showing up. Yeah, okay. you're not spending wasted cash. No, it was just a really interesting way to categorize that kind of thing. And I just thought it was really interesting. Um, before I kind of start to wrap up on some of the other stuff, what's the dream for you? The dream. Wow. Good question. Um, I've probably got thousands of dreams. <laughs> It, 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 it's 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 going back to what we start with really, is that creative mind it's like a tree you've got strands off um obviously i want a sustainable business so i want to keep doing what i'm doing um there are some new projects i am working on at the moment um personal branding being mm -hmm. a very big area that i'm seeing a lot of interest in so that's something i'm going to be looking at um i'm just about to launch my first online training course which nice. is supercharge 
your digital marketing strategy. Um, so that's going to happen in the next uh, three or four weeks. Um, there is another book um, bubbling, uh, not a form at the moment. Uh, and I'm actually writing this as an author, not as somebody who's going to say, oh, you know, that there is an idea there. So that's going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I would like to do a lot more public speaking. Okay. I, I do enjoy this. Uh, and I would like to uh, see a bit of the world on the back of it. So, yeah, I think if I was to look forward, if I was, you know, three years from now, I'd like to think I was touring the world a bit and speaking, do what I do. Oh, cool. But um, yeah, I think Sam same is that where the, at the moment, obviously, you know, I launched the Roadmap MBA and stuff, and that's going quite well. Uh, I got my first customer in China today, which is quite ah, cool. Ah, brilliant. So I only launched it uh, 13, 14 weeks ago. So it's still right, relatively new. Yeah, well, but, I, I obviously got your book and so, yeah, thanks. Okay. No, sorry. But what I was going to say is that the that for me is that's what's going to keep my mind occupied for the next 30, 40 years. That yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. I, I, I enjoy being part of people's teams when I do retained work. Yeah. But what will keep me sane? Because I actually think I'll never retire because I'm not that kind of person. I'm just, I always tinker with stuff. Yeah, yeah. That went right at the start when you said about creativity and building something and doing something. I now have that, that I think that will hopefully stop me having a midlife crisis and because it's there to build. But yeah. the, the dream for me, and I joke, it's to work four days a month. So it's yeah. to earn enough that actually all my bills and that are covered. I want to travel. Yeah. And, you know, I would love to speak at conferences and do stuff. Yeah. And everything I'm looking to do is towards that. So yeah. it was, again, I always pick people's brains about how, um, you know, when when people build a business and they say take on staff, Yes, it's almost hi David. By the way, um, it's almost the fact that you can very easily get trapped within the business that you build, which actually stops you from being able to travel the world and take a year off or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and I'm I'm purposely consciously trying to build towards what I want, and that's why I'm always interested because you we're in a very similar position, and it's yeah. just you know seeing what the dream is. But, uh, I've actually just free enough. I've just hired a team. Um, I've got a VA team now. Um, a VA team. Team of VA, sorry, um, and uh, there's about uh, six of them in the team, and they're just starting to pick up my day to day now. Yeah, so okay. I, I, it's really important for that strategic thinking, and I think that's one thing. It's very easy to work, um, you know, in your business and not on your business, as we hear. Uh, and uh, I decided to start the year. I've, I've got to pull back at some point and start, you know, because you do become a very busy fool, and you, you know, just through the pure love and joy of it. And it's funny you talk about um, long-term employment because yeah, I'm exactly the same. I, I don't think I'll ever retire. I, I definitely couldn't just stop at 65 and that's it, right? That's it. Business is done. I'm retired. I'm gonna. I, that would just drive me crazy. Um, but then I jokingly say to my wife, you know, you'll just come to the office one day and I'll be lying on the desk dead. So there'll be some happy medium in between that. I'm almost sure. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I love what I do. Why stop? And you know yourself, you know with the growth map that business changes so much that the incarnation of your growth map now is going to look completely different in 18 months time, two years time, you know, who knows? And that's the excitement in the industry that we serve that, you know, business is forever changing, constantly changing. I've, it keeps me young, just trying to keep a grasp on what's happening out there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I think that's the biggest drive for me. I'm really passionate about continuing until, I don't know, until the doctor says stop. No, cool. Um, so I'm conscious of time. Yeah. So I end every kind of interview with a few kind of basic questions, and this gets its own section on YouTube, which I, I for me is partly the most valuable bit, and I tend to clip these up and use them again and again, or repurposing it and stuff. Um, would you be happy to share what's the best piece of advice you've ever had? Yeah, I will do. I mean, obviously, there's the the old adage about cash is king and how important cash is, and we realise that, but. One of the best bits of advice I was given when I was an exec in a company and director sat me in his room one day and he said, you've got to understand the power of the network and you've got to start building your network now. Uh, you know, think about the different people who are important for you to do your job. Uh, the people are going to help you move through life, the people you might need when you're having a bad day and literally spoke through it. And that just kind of amazing. And I remember him drawing this kind of spider graph and how it all kind of branched off. And it has been so powerful for me and my brand and my business and my, you know, when I previously am employed, that whole power of the network, uh, you know, and grow your network. So yeah, if any advice, I suppose that kind of really resonates is, 
grow your network and keep growing it, keep meeting people, keep developing those relationships because you never know uh, when you need them or when you're going to meet those people again. No, I think it's really interesting, actually. It was a lady called Jenny Smith who runs a networking Know Who uh, event up here. And what's something that she said, because I did her online course on Udemy, and it was this one concept. And often, you know, you only take the one gem and you're like, you know, mind blown. But it was to do with how uh, when you make a first impression or you get to know someone, that will, you know, you're not just meeting one person, you're also meeting everyone they've ever met and anyone, everyone they ever will meet. So if you yeah. can make a really yeah. big impact with someone yeah. and they love it, they're going to tell other people. Yeah. And it I, it just blew my mind because it's, you know, you often get people that are a bit shitty or they're a bit shitty or whatever. And, you know, likewise, we've all worked in our careers where there's people that you just don't trust and you just don't mm-hmm. like. And it's not that I tell people, but I would... I'm a little bit cautious, you know, but your reputation sticks and that is your brand in many ways. But the one thing that I would say, which just relates to your talk and the the book is that a lot of people are well-intentioned and they do stuff, but if nobody knows who you are, they can't buy your stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you might be the most ethical engineer because engineers are famous for hating to do anything public. Um, but if nobody knows who you are, they're not going to offer you a job. And the reason why this is important is that we've both been made redundant in the past that actually it's through that network and actually people knowing who you are and whether they trust you or not, that if you were to put a post out saying, look guys, something really bad's happened. I'm now looking for employment. Can anyone help me out? You'd probably get a lot of people apply, you know, right back to you or at least want to help you as where if you're a complete stranger, you might get yeah. one or two, but that's the the value of your network. And I think awesome. that that's a really good one. That's cool. Yeah. Um, if you were to give advice to your younger self and you could yeah. pick any age, any part of your career and stuff, what would it be? Uh, have more confidence and oh, nice. uh, don't rest too much on, on the negative. I think um, I, I, I always say that I should have been self-employed much, much sooner and done this a lot sooner um you know and i think part of that was i had people who i respected who i thought were looking out for me um you know give me advice and kind of put me down and, and to be honest with you, i just wish i'd never listened to them and yeah so yeah I, but we all know you know we all work for a bad boss at some point so you know I, i'm sure we but for me it was very much about uh yeah just just follow your instincts follow your, and follow your passion as well that's what i would say no, it's good. But often you learn more from the bad bosses than you do from the good ones. Because yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, I better watch what I say, but yes. yes. <laughs> but it's that kind of thing that when, so especially some of the younger people that I kind of work with, um, it's the fact that if you disagree with what someone's done at some point, it'll be your, you'll be making that decision Oh yeah, and you'll know what to do or not do based on other stuff. So it's not always the end of the world if something bad happens, because actually it's improving your skill set just to kind of you know know and experience these kind of things. Yeah. Cool. Um, so is there anything you would like to talk about or plug before we go? I don't mind if you want to do another plug for the business and the book. Well, obviously, Marketing Skills Academy. Um, I'm you know happy to work with businesses of any shape sizes. Um, that's the coaching program. I also work on looking at personal branding. Um, I can do individual training costs like LinkedIn, social media, that kind of thing. That's number one. I'm going to get three here. Number two is obviously buy the book, uh, Marketing Master Plan. It is on my website. I can um, send you the link to that. It's actually on a special offer at the moment. It's £15, including postage and package, which is an absolute steal. Uh, and finally, I have a Facebook group called the Micropreneur Academy. Um, and basically it's a community I'm growing of uh, micro businesses. Um, we, I put some training in there. Um, it's a relatively new group. I would love to see more members, more ambitious business owners join. Um, so yeah, there's, there's my three requests, please. Cool. No, no worries at all. I must have, I've really enjoyed kind of catching up and just talking a few different things because Me often, too. you don't often yeah. get the chance to go into detail on some stuff, but then likewise, when, it's repetition helps. So the point is, is that when I've noticed this, actually, the, the more books I read and the more knowledge you get on a topic, yeah. you then read the next book quicker because you've already got all the base load and stuff. And yeah. actually you can just then just learn your craft and learn different stuff. But I also like to learn from different people and get their mindset and their ideas because actually that is how you get better, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Um, <laughs> sorry, uh, Jonathan Park saying he wants it signed and delivered by you, Simon. So uh, I'm sure if you 
reach out. He will help you out. I'm just going to move my mouse across to there. Fair enough. But no, I genuinely appreciate your time. Uh, it's been a pleasure to kind of speak. This gets clipped up and it goes onto YouTube and it goes onto Spotify and Google and uh, loads of different things. And yeah, thank you for your time. And you know, please connect if uh, you want to get to know him any better. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Steve. It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So and, now uh, I get to jump back on my client work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, have a have a good day, and uh, I'm sure we'll catch up soon. All right. Cheers, mate. No worries. Bye bye. Bye bye.